Welcome to Be Advised, Leading with Value with Brad Swinehart. In this podcast, we will focus on successful marketing methods for advisors that generate prospects and clients. We will learn from the best in the industry on how advisors in the trenches today are growing their practices. Join us for this journey where Brad draws from years of expertise and guest experts to help advisors reach their full potential. This podcast is brought to you by White Gloves Podcast Connect Program, a done-for-you, fully integrated podcasting system that will help you keep in touch with all of your leads. Brad Swinehart's guest is a man with many initials after his name, and each one reflects an accomplishment. Brad, would you please introduce Jamie Hopkins? Jamie is a former brother of mine. We both used to have very long hair in the financial industry, and we were you know, kind of two guys that stood out amongst the crowd. And then he totally betrayed my trust and everything about me and chopped it all off. But, you know, there's still hope that he'll, he'll grow it back, but no, Jamie, Jamie and I have been friends for quite a while. He doing some awesome things over at Carson, developing a training program. You're speaking everywhere. I want to be, I mean, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a great start. You, you talked about how it takes years to build out that trust and grow the hair in only seconds to destroy it. And that's such a, you know, such a good visual example of it, you know, and I did that back on stage at Excel and just, you know, I walked off stage and we cut it all off and I came back on stage with no hair. So yeah. <laughs> years and years to build seconds to destroy. So <laughs> well, hey, I know you have a ton of knowledge baked into your brain there with all those letters that go after your name. But one of the things that I've always kind of admired about you is this kind of innate sense of leadership that you have. And one of the things I really want to kind of dive into today, we talk a lot about growth on this show, what you should do for marketing, what you should do to stay in front of people, how do you convert more prospects, all of that sort of thing. And really at the end of that, when an advisor sees real success, it oftentimes causes new problems, right? Where, okay, well, how do I hire? How do I become a team leader instead of a a solo, you know, entrepreneur? And I think that that's something I would love to grab your perspective on today. It's a great perspective to talk about, Brad. And so many financial advisors and service professionals end up as accidental business owners, end up as accidental <laughs> CEOs, right? They they start off to be an advisor and then all of a sudden they have success, they marketed well, they, they created a process and a value prop. And then all of a sudden they're standing there with all this growth and, and I've heard it from a bunch of advisors over the year, right? Where they, and I got a new client and I felt like I wanted to cry because they get spread too thin and bunch all these different things. And it happens to a lot of people. I mean, not just advisors, but in your regular job, you can end up in this situation. And part of it is, you know, really defining your why and what you're good at and focusing on that. I I talk to a lot of people, you know, we run a coaching company at Carson, Carson Coaching, and we we coach about 1200 advisory firms at any given time. And I don't do much personal coaching, but I hop on a lot of calls and I hear people saying, well, I really identified four of my weaknesses. And next year, I'm going to spend all this time on my weaknesses. And I've really started spending the last couple of years trying to talk people out of that. And (laughs) I, I use this like really kind of, you know, I think it's boring, but this really boring example. And it's Tom Brady. And, you know, most people know who Tom Brady is, even if you don't like football in America or whatever, you know who Tom Brady is. And I said, look, when Tom Brady goes to the offseason, 
He doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to make Tampa or previously New England better by practicing tackling. Because about like 10 times a year, I might need to tackle somebody. I throw an interception, somebody fumbles the ball, I might need to help out tackling. But he doesn't spend the offseason getting better at tackling. And if Tom Brady gets twice as good at tackling, he doubles that return. It really probably won't help the team one bit, right? They might save two yards over the course of a season, right? It's a complete waste of energy. What does he spend his time doing? He spends his time understanding the playbook, understanding defenses, understanding how to throw the ball. He actually invests all of his time back in how he helps lead that organization forward. He doesn't focus on the stuff he's not good at. And a lot of times people look at those things that they're not good at in a leadership skill set and say, I need to go focus more on those because there's some notion in our brain that we can increase those more because they're worse, which tends actually not to be the case. So if you look at any great athlete or leader, you figure out what you're really good at. Then you fill in with the talent around you and the things you're not good at. So if you are not good at like detailed operation stuff, don't try to become a better advisor and get better at detailed operations, hire somebody to do that. And I think to me, that's one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of leaders try to get into is trying to improve in all these areas they're not good at. Reality is you'll probably never be good at it. You're never going to add enough value there to overcome, right? The waste of time and resources you put into it. So find the right people, put them in place and get out of their way in those areas. I love that. And let's talk about that a little bit. One of the things that I think is very, very difficult for any business owner to do and that is, you you did everything yourself at the mm-hmm. beginning, right? You're licking the your own envelopes, you're handwriting all the notes, you're you're turning on and off the lights, you're literally doing everything. And to hire someone, where you then relinquish that power, very often as a business grows, that becomes very difficult to do, and you end up micromanaging each of your departments to the point where they want to pull their hair out, and you know you're not benefiting from who you hired. So how do you how do you focus on hiring the right people that will give you the confidence to let them do what you hired them to do? I really don't prescribe yet in my life to any specific model of hiring or putting people into seats and it's a little bit of art and science. There's some real science out there, right? Of just, you know, looking at disc profiles or whatever you might and seeing how somebody fits and how they communicate and how they'll work within a team structure. And there are times where I think, hey, look, that's super valuable. I think there's other times where you want to look at education and experience. What I will tell you is I think I've you know, over the last, when I go back four years, when I stepped into my role here, I mean, I was like me and a team of one. And I think I've got a hundred and something people on my teams right now. I probably have 15 to 20 open jobs. I think I've got three or four interviews today. I spent a lot of my time recruiting and I really do say recruiting because it's as much as somebody's interviewing you, you're interviewing them. And it's trying to find people that I believe want to build something. I think a lot of people want to come into jobs and have things handed to them. And I often think those aren't the people I want around. I want people that want to build something. And that's a cultural thing to some degree is, you know, do they want to change? Do they want to develop? If you look at places, especially what we're talking about is growth mindset. So if you're in a growth mindset and you're trying to take things off your plate, you want somebody to come in and own that, make sure that they feel that connection to it. 
ownership's a huge thing, whether you use, you know, something like EOS traction to develop ownership or whatever structure you want, people need to feel that they own things. And that's how you can get out of micromanagement. One of the issues going back to that, when you brought that up is micromanaging is we lose track of accountability. And I remember this very specifically, I was talking to an advisor and they're telling me about how they weren't growing, how they wanted. And they said, I've got the wrong person, the wrong seat. They had clearly been micromanaging them for many years. And I said, well, how long have they been in the wrong seat? And they said 15 years. And I just remember like my head, I was like, wow, like I feel like my <laughs> head should explode right here. Uh, you had the wrong person, the wrong seat for 15 years and you knew it and you micromanaged them that whole time. And the problem was, is that they couldn't really put accountability for, you know, failure for where they wanted to get on them because they never let them own it. And you see that over and over again in these situations. If you don't give somebody accountability, you don't let them run with things. You can't let it move forward. You kind of slow it down by feeling like you're putting your restrictions on it. It's so much so, the more time I spend in leadership capacities, you've got to let people fail sometimes. And I think there's a lot of leaders that don't want to see somebody fail. They don't want to see the email go out not exactly as they would have written it, that the phone call or meeting doesn't run exactly as you would run it. And maybe you are right that your email would have been 3% better and that meeting would have been 2% better. But over time, what you do is you constrict somebody so they can't grow. And you're just cutting off their growth shoots every single time. And you end up a lot worse off over time. So you got to let people fail. You got to let people run it their way. And it's a hard thing to do because advisors have often seen success. Business owners have seen success and they want to do it their way. Like I, I, I know how to do it because I've done it before. Let somebody else do it. I was out with NAFA at a conference out in Phoenix, and I'll, I'll pause after this story, Brad, I promise. But, <laughs> I know. I was supposed to be out there with you, and I didn't didn't quite make it, so I was, I I know. was your jealous team, you got your to team hang was out with out all there. my friends. Yeah, your yeah. team was out there doing the work, and you were you know, doing whatever else, not doing the yeah, work. That's good. I must have been sitting on a boat or having a beer <laughs> or something, you know, just... <laughs> Look, that you, relaxing, you just, I'm sure yeah, you weave that back in the story. You were allowing people to run and lead and mm. you were micromanaging. So That's what great. I was doing. That's exactly. what I was doing. Exactly. <laughs> and I sat down with this one advisor and he'd been in the business for a number of years and he had a really insightful thing. He's like, you know, when I'm in a lot of these meetings today, they're the same people I was in the meetings with back in the nineties. He's like, a lot of us need to get out of the way and we're having trouble doing that in this business. And I a hundred percent agree with that with him. You know, it's, it's a lot of the same lead that have been in this business for a long time and advisors don't retire, right? They just die eventually and they, they stay <laughs> in the business forever. But you can stay in the business, but you can still get out of the way. And I think that's very important moving forward in financial services is giving the space for the next generation to blossom and take over and run this to where it needs to be. A lot of us, I mean, I'm falling into that group now too. Like I'm not the young person anymore. Like when I take out my marketing team, like I'm a decade older than everybody. Like, like I also need to give space for the next people to, to come in and flourish and go speak at all these things. As you mentioned, you know, I don't want to be that person in another 10 years. Like other people have to come in and replace that. And one of those things too, that I've realized over the years, just, you know, with white glove, our tremendous growth, we went from working in a basement to, you know, hundred events a month to 600 events a month to private equity to 130 person and company that survived a pandemic. When we do in-person seminars, right. We've, we've been through a lot. And one of the things that always just kind of just pounded on my head, you know, over these years, cause you have, People come in the business, people leave, and it. there are things that I can do 
that other people that started today couldn't do. But there's nothing that I do today that they couldn't learn or get better at than me. You know, I did it. I walked into this industry as a as a little Bambi. I had no idea what I was walking into and, you know, kind of led to standing on space, speaking to advisors, doing coaching, doing a podcast, all of these things. And there's probably better and brighter people out there that work for us that could come in and do that. And, you know, helping them thrive now you're seeing scalability. If you divide yourself up, you said 3% better, 2% better. Immediately what I thought in my brain is, okay, there's 100% of me. Now I'm spending 3% on this email, 2% on this meeting, 5% on this. And, and I'm just taking away from my capacity for the other things that I'm really, really good at. And one of the things that you said is you got to let somebody fail. I kind of think of it as you know, when you're raising your kids and you have teenagers and they're 17, they're 18, they're going to make stupid choices, you know, and you, you just have to let them like, okay, yeah. How do you, how do you feel today? Right. Are you, you got a 12 hour shift ahead of you and you stayed up all last night, you know, how, how, how great is that going to feel? Let them go through that, you know, and to, to a degree, you know, I think every parent kind of runs into that, but as a business owner, you're almost in that same seat, right? You have to let these people fail and, you know, one other thing that you said really struck me is, you know, if you're micromanaging or if you're constantly demanding things of people and then kind of not letting them them grow, they're just going to be paralyzed by those demands because you're not just affecting that one decision, you're affecting every decision they make after that. Because if you come back to me, if I, if I worked for Jamie here and he came back to me on every single project I did and said, nope, I want it like this, no, mm-hmm. those those 3% isn't as good as my 3%, eventually I'm going to stop doing it. You know, I'm going to say, well, oh, yeah. he's, he's going to do it for me anyway. So I'll, I'll put in less effort because he's going to go through and correct it anyway. And the work actually gets worse as yeah. opposed to getting better. And then 15 years later, you're saying, Hey, he's been in the wrong seat for 15 years. Yeah. And I, you know, we, we have this uh, document that we use in Carson coaching called a hundred items to delegate. And so it's literally a list of a hundred things you're doing in an advisory firm that that leading advisor CEO needs to delegate off. And it's an amazing exercise to go through. You know, even if you're not in this business, I'd say, you know, you can download that document for free. Just just put Google workshop it, planning on there. Yeah. Workshop, workshop planning, planning and marketing. Delegate marketing. that yeah, off. That's, delegate yeah. that off. Yeah. I know, you know, I know a guy if you need a guy. Yeah. There's, a, there's, <laughs> there's people out there that do that. Look, we're, uh, you know, Patrice has helped us run the show today. That's one too. Like, you know, what are you managing your own podcast for? Like, get that, get that off, right? Like that's go right. find somebody that's who's right. really good at that. That's better than you at it and delegate that off. And, you know, one of the things that I saw about that kind of recently too, there was an ad I saw, you know, on Twitter, you know, somewhere online. I don't even know which one LinkedIn, maybe it was Instagram. I think it was Instagram. I I see better ads on Instagram. So Instagram ad, and it was talking about like disinterested advice and unbiased advice. And I, I started thinking, cause this came out of a CEO conversation I was having with somebody uh, two weeks ago, which those things are different. You know, we talk about like unbiased and disinterested and objective advice, And, you know, then we get into this whole, what's the right business model and financial services. But when you think about CEOs and leadership, like, I don't really want any of that. This podcast is brought to you by White Gloves Podcast Connect Program, a done-for-you, fully integrated podcasting system that will help you keep in touch with all of your leads. 
And and it sounds weird. Like I don't want unbiased advice from my CEO. I want completely biased advice. Like <laughs> like I, I want I want a CEO that drank the Kool Aid who loves the firm in every aspect, like so much so that you're like, they're crazy, right? Like the, the best CEOs are a little bit crazy because they love the firm at a level that everybody else won't. Are and we they talking should. about Ron right now? But look, Ron, Ron? Like we could name Ron too. <laughs> like Ron loves Carson at a different level than anybody else can ever love Carson, right? Like it's true, right? Like, yeah. nobody, like he built it. It, nobody's ever going to love it more than he does, right? Like his name is on the building, like literally not, you know, <laughs> like we're not just you, it's on the building. And, but it's true from a, across the board, right? Like Elon Musk is a little bit crazy with a lot of the stuff he does, right? Like I think everyone's like, okay with that. Like he is out there, he's thinking big, he's pushing boundaries, but he also loves his company more than anybody else will ever love his company. And you see that all over the place. And, what that allows you to do is like actually inspire other people. There's that great quote. I forget. I don't, I don't remember which football movie this was, whether it was Friday night lights or, you know, remember the Titans. I think it's remember the Titans. And like, they get in this exchange about blocking for each other. And he's like, Hey, that's the worst attitude I've ever heard. Like you're out for yourself. And he goes, right. Leadership reflects attitude. And like, if you want everyone else in your company to run through a brick wall and do all these things, like you got to have that from the top down. You don't want disinterested business only CEOs that are impartial. Like you want somebody that's all in on it. And it's just a very interesting thing because a lot of advisors are like, hey, I'm this like fee only and I'm disinterested and like, I'm not in the advice. And I was like, but I don't know if, I don't even know if that's what I want from my advisor sometimes. Like I get the conflicts that can occur on the other side. But I kind of want advisors that are like invested in some of the same stuff that I'm going to be invested with and like care about their business and what they're doing so much so that it's like borderline irrational, because I also <laughs> know that their interests are aligned with mine. And I want to know the same thing from my CEOs and leaders is that if I'm working and you know this, like I'll be working at seven, eight o'clock on Fridays. Well, I don't, I don't, I want to know that my CEO is working or my leader is working that hard too, if I'm going to. Now, if you're in a business where everybody's off Friday, that's great. Like you're going to have the same leadership that you want from your stakeholders and employees, but and it, they don't all have to be one or the other, but I do think those will always be aligned because you are going to follow, right? Attitude follows leadership. And so to me, you want everybody else to love the company, which is typically what your leaders want, right? You want them to follow. You want them to push hard. You want them to be in line. Well, then you're going to have to do that too. And if you're trying to set different examples from your attitude and your behavior than what everybody else is going to do, that's just a recipe for disaster. It's never going to work. And I've seen that before. Like I remember being somewhere where we were all sitting there, CEO came down. This was not Ron, but he came down and he was like, hey, everybody, I, I, nobody should leave till this is done. It's such an important project. And he was standing there in his golf clothes and he was getting ready to go leave and golf in the middle of a Friday. <laughs> and you're just looking at everybody and you just give him this speech. Like we all got to get this done. It's hugely important. And then you watch him leave into the elevator, go out to his car to go golf. <laughs> and it's like, look, that's the least inspiring thing you could possibly do. Like at least lie to us and say, you know, you're going back up to your office, go out a different elevator. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, that, that stuff is, you know, that's, that's the opposite of that, right? Like I want to see you lead that way, but that's a, yeah, that's kind of one of the things I told you, like, I haven't really talked through that a ton, but this whole idea of, you know, this objective leader, I don't think is actually what most people want. Like we want somebody who drank the Kool-Aid that loves it 
as much as they want everybody else to love it. I think something too that that business owners often overlook is is they have this feeling that you know on the, on the flip side that everyone should love the business as much as they do. And it's just simply not true. And you're never going to get it. So you're always going to be frustrated. Yeah. I mean, even when you give people ownership, and this is an important thing. So when you get into the hiring world, having ownership is important. I, I, I'm i a big fan. I think that generally speaking, advisors have been too slow to give other teammates ownership in their businesses. And I, I'll say that forever. Having ownership is important. It does create complexities, but it, you know, you can't create ownership mindset without ownership. And I think that's always BS when people are like, we create an ownership mindset here, but I'm the only one that owns the firm. Like, then you don't really have it. Like, you might get kind of close, but you know this until you actually have ownership, it is different. You cannot get the ownership mindset without giving people ownership. That's my view. And I think we've been too slow to do that to G2, next generation, younger advisors. And then we complain. And I say we as a collective industry complain that people don't show the same drive that they had. And I'm like, well, they don't own a part of the company. So they're not they're never going to love it as much as you do because you own it. You benefit more every time a dollar comes in than anybody else does. That's the reality of ownership. So ownership is incredibly important. I think ownership is important for just generally like generational wealth and wealth generation, all of that. So I think it goes broader into a bunch of different areas too. But when you talked about that, like, look, founders, founder-led companies, advisor companies that are owned by the CEO advisor, you are going to love it more than most other people. You build it. Like it was yours, you know, that baby language I don't love, but like it was your baby. It was your thing. You grew it. You breathed it into existence in this world. So you have attachments to it that somebody else won't have naturally. You can absolutely build those in, but it goes back to all the things we were talking about, right? Accountability, letting people be free in their work, making sure that they have actual ownership, which allows for ownership mindset. But if we don't do those things, we're not going to have it. And then you see advisors complaining that they don't have G2, they don't have a backup, they don't have a strategy here to pass this on to the next generation. And most likely they didn't do any of those things. And one thing too, to, to think about is those employees that you have, those people that you hire that don't have ownership, you know, that, that aren't going to fit that role, that aren't going to work into that part of the company. That's a good thing. You know, they're, they're going to take, they're going to leave at five on Friday. They're going to become well rested. They're going to come in on Monday. It, and that's okay as long as you set your mindset to, hey, you know what? I I own this. I'm benefiting. I'm going to stay longer, right? The opposite of the guy going golfing while he yells at everybody else to stay. But the other real benefit of someone that comes in after, that doesn't own it, that doesn't have that love of the child, right, is they're also going to have wide eyes of what's wrong, what mm-hmm. they should be doing differently. They're not saying, well, we we have to do this way because that's how I invented it. This is my vision. This is what I've always wanted. They're going to walk in and say, hey, this this might work or that might work. And they're not going to have that emotional restraint to make changes. If you get that person right, that generation two of a business, they can run it like a business. A lot of times founder-led businesses are great businesses because you poured your heart and soul in it, but you always reinvest it back. And a lot of times they they waste money too. Business expenses get fluffy. You're running things back through the business. You wouldn't. You're overpaying 
or underpaying certain roles because of connections to it. But it does allow you a lot of times the right size of business. I was on a podcast last week and I said, you know, this is a great parts about like friction in economies, because when we get that friction, we get the down market cycles. It allows companies to right size. The same thing's true when you're bringing in new leadership. I think it's one good aspect of, you know, having new leadership come in from time to time is they can challenge things and say like, like this doesn't make any sense. It's a total waste of time and energy. It's a negative ROI. So like, let's get rid of that and focus back on the things that we do well. Let's outsource right events. Let's outsource coaching and business de development to pieces of it over here and focus on what we're good at. We're really good at working with the clients. Let's focus back on that. And instead of spending 60% of our time on practice management, let's spend 10% of the time on that and shift the other time to what we're good at. And that can be done because we can cut things that we wouldn't be doing if we we're running a business. It's, you know, stuff that I like doing, like Jamie Hopkins, you and I like music and we have Friday music things at the office and that gets huge waste of time and energy. And maybe it was good for culture and air quotes, but it wasn't good for the business, right? Like we were wasting time and energy and money and somebody else might come in and say, Hey, like for as much as you like that music session on Friday, Jamie, it's a bad use of resources. <laughs> Uh, they probably just didn't like your music choices. I think is That's what happened pretty there. Terrible, you know. It's a, <laughs> like, look, I we were in a car this weekend. We were talking about our favorite singers, Chris Cornell and, and Gavin Rossdale, are two of my wife's favorites. And she's like, "Well, who are your favorite ones?" And I was like, "Oh, well, you know, Ronnie James Dio." And she like, she's like, "I really don't know who that is, Jamie." And I was like, "We have been married for like seven plus years, and you still don't know who my favorite singer." Is. <laughs> But she does like, I, you know, she has, like she totally pushes this out of her mind because she has no interest in, in Dio. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you, her choices are pretty good. I like both of those to throw a little Maynard James Keenan in there and we're, we've got a pretty good trifecta, but I think this is all just super important for advisors to understand. And we talked a lot about hiring the right people. And I think right at the, the core of all that you can't hire the correct person unless you are truly honest with yourself of where your strengths are, what you enjoy doing and what you should outsource. That's almost the first step, right? It's not, it's not go hire a marketer, go hire a, a new offices and go hire a sub rep. It's well, what do you want to do? What are you going to find the most passion in? Where are you going to bring the biggest bang into the company? That's going to be, you know, revolutionary. If you had, 20 more hours in the week, what would you spend it doing? And when you can sit down and analyze and be really honest with yourself and say, this is what I'd be really, really good at and would be really impactful. I think that's step one before you go into, well, how do I scale? Who should I hire? What, what should I let go of? Yeah. I, I mentioned it for a half of a second, but you, you nailed it, right? If you can go back and define what you're good at and what your why is, right? Those that's where you start. You got a blueprint your life, your business, understand what you want to spend time on, why you're spending time on it and what you're good at. And then all of a sudden, then you can fill in everything around you, right? Like too many people are just like, oh, I ran out of time. So we're going to hire this person. We're going to hire this person. And all of a sudden headcount can get out of whack too. And you have the wrong people in the wrong seats and the business isn't running where you want it to run. And that leads into your client experience. And they're not having the experience they otherwise could have, which is why we're all here. And that's, you know, right in the center, right? What is that client experience? 
And, you know, most advisors that have been in this business are pretty good at working with their clients. And so to me, it's always been get back to that, get the other things off the table and focus on it because that's what's going to allow you to grow and have the impact that you probably came into this business to have. I remember I watched Kitchens talk at your guys's last event that I was at. I liked him and I liked Bush. I thought they were both phenomenal. So good grabs on both of those. But he talked about how, I mean, every advisor is a snowflake, right? You all do something super unique and super different, but ultimately eh, to, to Joe Blow idiots like me, like not really. So what you can control is that experience. And he talked about the Build-A-Bear thing, right? You can go to the, you can go to Meyer if you're from Michigan, you know what Meyer is. You can get a, you can get a teddy bear for 12 bucks. You can Amazon one for six bucks, or you can go to Build-A-Bear and build it yourself for 50 bucks. And that's being part of that experience, right? It's the whole thing. And I always thought that was just a wonderfully put relation to our business of you have to help control their experience and now we have a furry friend yeah baxter came in and said it's time to go (laughs) (laughs) well it it is it is about that time so if you had just one you know little golden nugget i'm gonna steal from luke acre one little thing to say to an advisor who's who's seen that success right they're they're experiencing growing pains right now what would you tell them to do first yeah, the, if you're experiencing growing pains, you're getting to that point is really take that break, take like probably two and a half days and go blueprint your life and your why. Like just if you've done it before, go do it again. It changes. And then I, we also say lately, like define what financial freedom means to you and write all of those things down and then come back to your business, right? You got to go spend time on yourself to make sure that you're in the right mental place, that you're doing the things you want to do. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of everybody else. That's that's the one thing that you have to do. And you really do have to block off the time. Like it's a serious commitment to do that right, but it's 100% worth the investment that you put into it. Yep. I love that. We, we encourage what we would call like an offsite, right? You can't, sometimes you just change the scenery, just get out, you know, maybe you still leave your house that day, but you go to a, you rent a space for a couple of days, you go to a coffee shop and hang out there, but you just don't, you go to a park, right? But you don't go sit in the same seat you do every day, doing the same thing you do every day, and then try to change something. So it it's funny, you know, in life, you make big changes by making big changes, but you also make big changes by making very small incremental changes and you have to decide which is which. And if you keep bouncing back and forth, everybody you work with is going to hate their lives. <laughs> All right, Brad Baxter, the dog wants to know how he can reach you and how listeners can reach you. For me, easy place to reach us is carsongroup.com. And I'm pretty active on Twitter at retirement risks and Brad. <laughs> That's it. Just hit me up. Be advised on you can catch it on all major Spotify, Spotify podcast outlets. <laughs> and uh, if you have any additional questions, always hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm very open to connect and to share anything that I have. And of course, don't miss any new episode of Be Advised Leading with Value. Subscribe or follow and please share. This podcast is brought to you by White Gloves Podcast Connect Program a done-for-you, fully integrated podcasting system that will help you keep in touch with all of your leads. Thank you for listening to Be Advised, Leading with Value with Brad Swinehart. 
Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of White Glove. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.